0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message.
1: Turn with me to the book of John, 1 John. 1 John. Chapter 5, we're going to read from the last portion of 1 John, the last nine verses. We may finish this up this morning, we may not. I'm not sure how the message is going to flow uh, in my studies and things, so we'll see. If not, I'll complete it, uh, the last portion of it, the last uh, point uh, this evening, if we don't get through it uh, this morning. But John, 1 John, chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. The title this morning is this, to know that you know, to know that you know. Now, if we, as we've been walking through the book of 1 John, John is reaffirming the basics of Christianity. The facts that we need to have sound doctrine. We need to have obedience to God and we need to have love. Love one another, a love of God, which obviously are the first and the greatest and the second greatest commandment. And that love produces our obedience to God. And it's all based on our sound doctrine of who God is. God, Jesus is the son of God. And when that is all established and that is the sound doctrine that John is basing his letter upon, then we have the basics of Christianity and everything else flows from those Basics. So if you found that passage this morning, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. And by the way, uh, outlines are located here, up here. I did not get those in the bulletin. So if you want an outline, feel free to come up and get one. I know many of you use those. John writes this in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know That you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us. in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests. That we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin. Not leading to death. He shall ask. And God will give him life. And to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. In verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Father God, as we uh, bow before you once again, we come to the portion of uh, the worship service, Lord, where we hear from you, God. We we, we hear from uh, Scripture. Father, we need to be certain as Christians that we are Christians. We, we, we need to know that we know. We need to understand that we know. Father, and as Christians, we have the promises of eternal life. We have the promises of answered prayer. And we have the promises of victory, Lord, over sin and Satan. So I pray that as we walk through the passage this morning, Lord, it's not my words, but yours. Father, we love you, praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Raise your hand this morning if you are certain. Got one, two, okay, several as they pop up later, okay? Or if you would say that you know that you know. I don't think I have to tell any of you sitting in this congregation or even on Facebook this morning, this has been a year of uncertainty. We have certainly been... Uh, Since March the 11th, the country was basically shut down. (laughs) It came to a virtual standstill all because of an unseen but very deadly opponent. Doctors, they were uncertain about exactly what this opponent was. We were obviously uncertain about the opponent's origination, where it came from. We were certain, uncertain how to control it. Day after day, information was given. Day after day, information was contradicted. It was restated. It was retracted. It was a given again and again and on and on and on and on. All the while, uncertainty continued to grow. We were uncertain whether masks would be effective. Wear a mask or not wear a mask. Nobody was certain whether we should wear one or not wear one. And now we need to know whether we wear one or wear two. There's a lot of uncertainty even still. Uncertainty about whether or not this opponent was real. Or was it simply perceived? There was uncertainty about that as well. Uncertainty about its spread. Uncertainty about whether it spread on surfaces. So we wipe down our groceries when we come home from the grocery store. We knew it was airborne, but we were uncertain how... How much it could spread and how contagious it really was. Vaccines have become available. But we were uncertain about those vaccines. We were uncertain about the timing of those vaccines and how quickly those vaccines were developed. But I want to remind you this morning, if you are a Christian, we can be certain. We can know that we know. And our certainty is not based on doctors. It's not based on science. Our certainty is based on God. It's based on Scripture. It's based on God's Word. Our certainty is based on the objective realities. Those objective realities are the realities that are outside of us. As opposed to those subjective realities. Those subjective realities are based on things within our our ideas and our thoughts and those kind of things. And those objective realities, they're based on the Word of God. And we know that we can be certain about the promises of God. We know that we can be certain about the truths of salvation. Salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. Why? Because we can be certain about eternal life. Because eternal life comes from God. Eternal life is God. And we're going to see that As we walk through this, eternal life is a person. It's not a thing, it's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So all of our certainty is founded upon the foundation of Scripture. It's founded upon the objective realities of God's Word. So in this final passage of Scripture, John, he begins here to summarize and expound upon many of the things that he's already discussed. John's talked about love. He's talked about obedience. He's talked about our faith And as he begins to close this letter, he's clear about his purpose. John wants his readers and us as well to have that assurance. Eternal life is found only in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And through this entire letter, John has refreshed his readers. He's refreshed his readers to the basics of Christianity, the basics of the Christian faith. Obedience, love and faith, sound doctrine, those things. And confidence in eternal life should naturally translate into a daily confidence and the assurance of the life of his readers and our lives as well. It all revolved around daily fellowship with Christ. John loved Jesus and he loved the believers that he was writing to and he wanted them to be certain that they had eternal life. He wanted them to know that they could know what they know. So the main point this morning is this. John called believers to have confidence in the assurances that believing in the Son of God brings. And we'll see some of those assurances this morning. And for us as Christians, those who are here who are followers of Christ, those who believe in the Son of God should also have the confidence in the assurances that our belief, our belief in Jesus as the Son of God, the author of salvation, brings us as well. So as we move through our passage this morning, we want to see three assurances, three assurances, and there's going to be based on belief in the son of God, belief in Jesus being the son of God. Number one, number one, if you follow along with your outline, Christ offers the assurance, the assurance of eternal life, eternal life. Look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. One of the realities of this life is we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. That somewhere is based on the decision that you and I make now. The decision that you and I make here on earth in this temporary body that God has allowed us and blessed us with. And that decision is whether or not we choose to believe in the Son of God. We choose to believe whether Jesus is, in fact, who He said He was, the very Son of God, came from God to give us the opportunity to have salvation, to give us the opportunity to have eternal life. And may I remind you, this decision, this decision that you and I will make, whether we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, remember that belief is saving faith. Okay, it's saving faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not intellectually based. I believe it, but I wholeheartedly commit myself to it as well. That's where the faith comes in. But this is the greatest decision that you and I will ever make. It's more than who will marry. It's more than where we're going to spend our lives. It's more than who we're going to spend our our, our, our our friendships with and where we're going to go to college and all those other things. The decision that we make about our belief in Jesus as the Son of God is a direct effect on our eternity. Where we'll spend our time for eternity. There's basically only two options. You choose to believe in the Son of God. Eternity is in the presence of God in heaven. But if you choose to not believe in the Son of God. Now if you remember as we've walked through this book of first John, John basically puts people in two categories. There are the children of God and there are the children of the devil, those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and those who do not, and those who do not spend eternity separated from the presence of God. In a place that is where we're weeping and the gnashing of teeth and I don't know if you knew this or not, but even in a place where Satan himself will be tormented. Satan himself will be tormented. John here, he's given us his purpose statement. Basically, John sums up this entire letter with this one purpose statement in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. These things here, John says, he speaks of the things that John has already written throughout this letter. And as we have progressed throughout the letter, we've seen several I write statements. First John one uh, four. He says, As we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John was talking about fellowship. He was talking about fellowship with Christ. It brings joy. Chapter 2, verse 1 My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Listen, God's desire. For his children is that they not sin. That is his desire. That's God's desire that we not sin. God wants us to be perfect. But he knew we weren't. That's where Jesus comes in. Chapter 2 verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John was writing to refute the false teachers. That were denying the deity of Christ. Many of those had walked away from the church. Churches there in Asia Minor, they had walked away, and they had lured a lot of the believers with them, teaching their false doctrine and their false things uh, contrary to the gospel message. And John was writing to warn them about them, to to write about these deceivers. In all this, John wants his readers to be confident. He wants them to be sure That they have eternal life. To rest in that eternal life. Listen, when we understand that we have confidence in eternal life. When we understand that we have eternal life. That affects the way we live. It should. It should affect the way believers. The the way we do things. The way we talk. The way we act. We should have joy regardless of our circumstances. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of that. He wants his readers, John does, to be assured of that eternal life. Well, where does this eternal life come from? Well, notice where it comes from. It simply comes from belief. We've talked about belief. It's that saving faith. It's that believing faith. That wholehearted commitment in something. Well, in this case, John, it's a particular belief, and it's a belief in the name of the Son of God. The name of the Son of God. This is the name above all names. The name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to. The name with divine authority and messianic uh, dignity. The name of memorable sufferings. The name men are, are bidden to recognize and to confess. It's the name. Jesus Christ. The Son of God. This is the one we have to put our belief in. This is the one... That John is saying, if we have eternal life. We have eternal life when we believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And that confidence is so, so, so important because it dictates the way you and I live our lives. When you have confidence in something, you're more apt to follow that thing. You're more apt to be comfortable with that thing. When we have the confidence in eternal life as Christians, we know the benefits of eternal life. We know the joy of eternal life. We know the wonder of eternal life. We know the fact of eternal life. When we know those things and we're confident in those things and we have the assurance of those things, that naturally should lead us to tell others. We're all going to die. We're all going to end up in one of two places. We know that as Christians. And we can be certain that we as Christians have eternal life. So why would we not want to share that with the rest of the world? Why? I ask myself that question every single day when I miss those opportunities to share what I have confidence in. Knowing that very likely that individual that I had contact with is probably going to spend eternity in that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth or even Satan himself will be tormented. Peter speaks of the assurance of eternal life. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never Fall. It is possible. It's possible for Christians to have assurance of eternal life. It's based on our belief. A belief in Jesus as the Son of God. Eternal life is not based on our merit, but it's based on the merit of Christ. And eternal life is a relationship with Christ. And that comes through a believing faith in the name of the Son of God. Those who believe, John's already told us, those who believe... Have life, and those who don't, don't have life. So this morning, where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself? Do you believe, or do you not believe? The assurance of eternal life, it offers more than simply eternity in the presence of God, which, by the way, is fantastic. It's awesome. It's wonderful to know that we're going to spend eternity with God for those of us who believe in the Son of God. But the assurance of eternal life also gives the believers an opportunity to work out that eternal life. It gives us an opportunity to see things happen. And one of those ways is through prayer. Point number two this morning is this. Christ offers the assurance of answered prayer. The assurance of answered prayer. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. Confidence towards God. Confidence towards Christ. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. One of the many awesome realities of the Christian life is that we have the opportunity to cry out to creator God. The creator of the universe, the creator of us has given us the opportunity to cry out to Him, to speak to Him, to communicate with Him. What a wonderful reality that is. Prayer, again, is simply communication with God. He has given His children the opportunity to bring our petitions before Him. We can do that with confidence. We can do that with confidence. Confidence. Free and fearless. We can be cheerful and courageous as we bring our petitions before Almighty God. Creator God. Savior God. We can do that with boldness. We can stand before the judge of the universe with boldness. This is not a lack of reverence. When we talk about standing before God in boldness. This is standing before God in awe, crying out to God in awe, knowing that God hears our petitions, knowing that God hears our prayer. It's boldness where we stand blameless before the judge, blameless. And we ask for things that are according to his will. Now, we hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. I ask according to God's will, according to God's will. According to God's will this, according to God's will that. But what does that really mean? Well, His will there, John is writing, is God's revealed will. God has revealed His will through Scripture. The Bible teaches about God's will for His people. This is what pleases God. It's what pleases God according to what is found in God's Word. According to what's found in Scripture. Not according to what's found in my mind, in your mind. Or my interpretation and your interpretation. It's what's found in God's word, what God said. Matthew six ten, during the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven as it is in earth. This is God's revealed will. Ephesians five seventeen, Paul writes this Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We can know the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is revealed. God reveals His will through Scripture. So when we seek the will of God, we pray according to the will of God. So let's consider a few things this morning about, about that. The first thing to notice there is we pray for wisdom. We see that in James 1.5. Remember Solomon? What did Solomon pray for? Wisdom. He prayed for the wisdom of God. We also pray, believing and not doubting. We pray with complete trust in the will of God. Listen, when we pray, we need to pray with trust. We need to play pray, believing that the Creator of the universe will answer our prayers. As we pray as his children. James 1 6 is a reference to that in Mark eleven. 24 Not only that but we pray for things the Bible commands prayer. We pray for things that the Bible commands prayer. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible commands us in Matthew 5:44 to pray for our enemies. Ooh. Yeah. Our enemies. In Luke 10, too, God as we pray to for God to send missionaries. To send missionaries. You know, there may be missionaries sitting in this congregation right now. And I don't say, well, there are missionaries sitting in this congregation. It's every one of us. But there may be some that God is calling to a foreign country. There may be some that God is calling to another part of, of, of Georgia or maybe another part of the United States. Maybe that's you. But we're to pray that God send missionaries. Matthew twenty six forty one, we're to pray that we do not enter temptation. We do not enter temptation. First Timothy two one through three. This is a big one too. We're pray, uh, pray we're, we're to pray for the things that the that that, that that command the Bible commands. Prayer. We're to pray for the government. We're to pray for the government. Now you could go right back up to number one. The enemies there. The government is our enemies at times. They are our enemy. But we're to pray for them. We're to pray for our government leaders. We're to pray for our government officials. Something else that we are to pray for as we pray for the will of God and we see in Scripture. We're to pray with the right motivation. We're to pray with the right motivation, James 4, 3. It's not about us. It's not about us. When we pray for the government, we pray for lives to be changed, and souls to be transformed of those government officials. That's what we pray for. We pray for our enemies. We pray that God sends missionaries. We need to pray with the right motivation. Our greatest aim in our motivation is to bring glory to God. That's the aim as we pray. God, how does this glorify you? How does my prayer glorify you? And listen, when you're praying... The will of God and you're praying based on Scripture. Guess what? It's going to glorify God because it's His Word. You're doing exactly what He wants you to do. You're doing exactly what He wants you to do. We're also to follow the example of those in Scripture. Paul prayed for salvation of Israel in Romans. Think about David. David prayed for mercy. But not only that, he prayed for forgiveness. David knew he had messed up. He prayed for forgiveness in Psalm 51. And if you need another example, the greatest example is Jesus Himself. How many times do you see in Scripture, Jesus prayed. He went to a desolate place alone and He prayed. In the garden, Jesus prayed. He wept. He prayed. We're to follow those examples. We're to pray with a spirit of forgiveness toward others. A spirit of forgiveness toward others. See that in Mark chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 5. I don't need to remind you, but bitterness, anger, and revenge and hatred toward our brothers and sisters interferes with our prayer life. We can be totally submissive to the we can't be totally submissive to the will of God if we're twisted, or we're bitter, or we're angry towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't. It's impossible. We're to pray with thanksgiving. Colossians 4, 2, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Even those who suffer, they have the joys of heaven before them. And they can be thankful. There's no greater example in Scripture than the Apostle Paul. David ran for 17 years before he was actually... Crowned king, he ran for 17 years from Saul, trying to kill him. But he was joyful. He was thankful for the opportunities that God had given him. We're to pray with persistence. Persistence. Luke chapter 18, First Thessalonians chapter 5. I don't know how many times in my prayer life when I've gotten discouraged... I'll sit down to pray and I don't even think that prayer gets above the ceiling and it gets the ceiling and comes right back down on top of my head. I get discouraged. I quit because in my mind I'm thinking that that my prayer's not even been heard, let alone answered. In reality, it's not true that we have not received an answer. God's answered our prayers. God's heard my prayer. But how persistent was I in that prayer? We oftentimes think that God has not answered, but God has answered. He will answer with yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. The issue is, can we accept the answer of God? Can we accept what God has actually told us in our prayer? We've got to submit to that. We've got to accept that. We've got to uh, persevere in that. Maybe God's telling you to wait. Maybe God's telling you, wait, if you get discouraged and quit, you've got to persevere. You've got to be persistent in your prayer life. Not only that, but we pray relying on the Spirit. Relying on the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for we ought for, for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god when we pray the spirit intercedes for us the spirit intercedes for us When we pray with these things in mind, we're praying according to the will of God, and God hears our prayers. God has no reason not to hear when we pray in His will. We're praying exactly what God wants us to pray. We're seeking exactly what God wants us to seek His will. And when He hears, He He will give us what we have requested. We trust that He will give us what we have requested because we are praying in His will. We're praying in His will. So we we need to understand, we need to make sure that we are praying in the will of God. So when you pray, you base those prayers on Scripture. If you're praying something contrary to Scripture, guess what? That's not the will of God. God's not going to bless that prayer. God's not going to answer that prayer. God's not going to hear that prayer. Because it's contrary to His will. It's contrary to His will. Now you may be asking, what about the unbeliever? Does God hear the prayer of the unbeliever? Well, this is it. God has no obligation to hear the prayers of unbelievers. He's under no obligation to answer those prayers. He's under no obligation to hear those prayers. You know, it's been said that the only prayer that God hears from a sinner is the prayer for salvation. And God hears that prayer. But God's in no under no obligation to hear the prayers of unbelievers, but God does. Because there are unbelievers that pray in the will of God. There are unbelievers that pray in the will of God, and God will answer those prayers. I don't answer those prayers. But John goes on here in verses 16 and 17, he basically gives an illustration of what he's he's kind of talking about here. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins and do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death, he says. I do not say that one should pray for that, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. John speaks here in verse 16. He's speaking of intercessory prayer. What a joy it is to intercede for others. I mean, we just read in Romans that the Spirit he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Do we intercede for others? Do we pray for others? When we see our brothers and sisters committing sins, are we on our knees praying that God will help them, that God will give them life back? This is intercessory prayer. First Timothy two one it says First of all then I urge the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. We're to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to intercede for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to pray on their behalf. Intercessory prayer as it relates to the matter of sin in the life of the believer. It's joyful. It should be a joy for us as believers, particularly those of us as mature believers, to intercede for others. To see our brothers and sisters in Christ falling to the temptations of sin. We can cry out to God and intercede for those folks. And God will hear our prayers. God hears our prayers. We physically witness our brothers and sisters in Christ's sin. This is what John is speaking of here. As we physically see our brothers and sisters in Christ's sin. This is important because, listen, this is not hearsay. And it's not rumors. It's not gossip. Oh, I just heard of this or heard that. No, it's when we physically see our brothers and sisters sin. When we physically see our brothers and sisters fall to the temptation of the devil, fall to the temptation of this world system. But we've seen here, this is somewhat of a confusing passage, and I want to try to uh, be as uh, explanatory this morning as possible. Basically, John is saying that there's two types of brothers here. Those who commit sin that does does not lead to death, and those that commit sin that leads to death. John could basically be talking about believers and non-believers here in this passage. there's really not a, a, a specific uh, commentators vary on this they, they, they uh, in their in their thinking on this you know, based on the context of the letter John could be referring to believers, brothers and sisters in Christ those who who have found themselves committing sin we all commit sin those who have found themselves, falling uh, to temptation and those kind of things and those sins do not lead to death and as we pray and as we seek God uh, and ask God to 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 help them to intervene in their life God gives them life they repent maybe this is a backslidden Christian where repentance is sought Restoral of their relationship with God is available and when we pray and ask God to intervene, God intervenes. He hears our prayers and we, He restores that person back to life. He removes that sin. They repent. Repentance is there. Restoral is there. And that relationship is restored. And it doesn't lead to death. But there's also, John says, sin that uh, does lead to to death. This is unrepentant of the nature uh, that John has warned about previously in this letter. Some of those who were resolute, the resolute rejection of the true doctrine of Christ, the chronic disobedience of God's commands, resistance uh, to the lack of love of fellow believers, the condition of. Those who have the attitude uh, against the Spirit, contrary to the Spirit. Speaking of spiritual death, speaking of eternal death here. These are the ones who live in a perpetual, uh, habitual life of sin. These are the ones that John was probably talking about. The ones who had walked away from the fellowship. The false teachers, maybe. There are two basically categories here, a non-believer and a Christian that John could be speaking of here as well. The non-believer, again, was those obstinate Christians. Those who were carnal Christians, those who said that they were Christians, but they were not actually Christians. Those who failed to repent or forsake their sins, so they weren't necessarily Christians at all. These would have been the children of God or children of the devil that John mentions. These would have been the non-believers. Those who were contrary to the doctrine of Christ. Those who did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They may have said that they believed. They may have claimed that they believed. That they didn't truly believe. But there's also the Christian. And for those of you in this room and those of us who are Christians, this is a warning to us. This would have been the true believer. This would have been the true brother in Christ, the true one who had fellowship with God, the true one who said, yes, I do believe in the Son of God. But not only that, I wholeheartedly put my commitment in that belief. This would have been a one who commits sin. And they begin to commit that sin. And God, in his infinite wisdom, takes their life physically, physically. I give you an illustration. Ananias and Sapphira, you remember them in the Book of Acts? They come before Peter there with the an inappropriate uh, offering. They didn't bring what they should have brought. What happened? They were immediately killed, both of them. Think about those in the Corinthian church who were desecrating the Lord's table. You read that passage in in Corinthians. Some of those had died because of that. Because of their sin, they had died. You remember Achan in the Old Testament? Achan was disobedient. He took some of the things that that they had won in battle. He took some of the Lord's things and God killed him. But he not only killed Achan, but he killed his whole family. These were Christians. These were true believers. Who had committed sin and it led to their physical death. Here's the thing. Oftentimes, we as Christians in the church live a life that may be in sin. We have sins that we are committing, that we just continue to commit. There will come a time when God says, enough is enough. I am not going to let you destroy my church. And God will take that individual out. Physically. He'll kill that individual. He's not going to allow that individual and their sin to interfere with the growth of his church. The people of his church. And in this case, John says, we're not to pray for those folks. I do not say that one should pray for that. And John's not giving us a command here not to pray for this person. But what he's saying is, if you pray for that person, don't expect an answer from God. God's already made up his mind. God's already made up his mind. And when we pray, it's not going to make any difference at that point. But what is that point? I don't know when that point is. I don't know when that point is. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to pray and let God take care of it because God's going to take care of it anyway. But I don't know when that point is. I don't know when that point that that individual has committed sin as a Christian to the point where God says enough is enough. I don't know when that point is. I don't know when that non-believer has made made it to the point where their heart is so hard. And they not to really hear and feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I don't know when that point is. So I'm just going to continue to pray. Continue to pray and continue to pray and let God take care of the rest. But notice what John says in verse 17. He says, all wrongdoing is sin. Listen, it doesn't make any difference when we are disobedient to the commands of God. We are sinning. Regardless of whether it leads to death, regardless of whether it does not lead to death, all wrongdoing is sin. And that was John's point here. He said, listen, it doesn't make any difference whether it leads to death or not. When we sin, it's wrong. It's all wrong. Whether it leads to death or not. All sin is unrighteousness. That wrongdoing there, some translations say unrighteousness. Unrighteousness in whose eyes? Unrighteousness in the eyes of Almighty God. Almighty God. One commentator says this. It's possible for Christians to continue in an attitude of rebellion against God and to allow sin to dwell in his life, hindering the testimony and effectiveness of his church that God will take his physical life. Take him out. He'll take him out. Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receive, asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. God hears. And God responds to our prayers. In fact, God finds great joy in hearing the prayers of his children, and in turn responding to those prayers, think about it. God wants to hear from his children. God desires to hear from his children. It's a joy when God hears from his children. It's like a parent. When my kids ask for something in that, that I will, that's that, that's right in line with with my will. It's a joy for me to give it to them. A joy. It's the same way with God. God joys. He he he's, he loves giving things to his children when we ask in his will. When we pray in the will of God, we glorify God. And we not only benefit ourselves, but we benefit those around us. But again, there's a point when God has had enough. Even believers can reach a point when God will not allow His church and His mission to be interfered with. He will pronounce judgment. And that judgment on that believer is physical death. And church, we must avoid that at all costs. We must avoid that at all costs. And the way we do that is we ask for uh, forgiveness. We repent of the sins that we know, we know, are in our lives. So I'm not going to get to the third point uh, this morning by time. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, you need to have the assurance and the certainty that you are a child of God. You believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And because of that belief, you have eternal life. And I've told you before, it's not just... Quantity of life. We're going to live forever. That's awesome. But it's also quality of life. It's also quality of life. It's the things we do between the time we were born and the time we died that, that matter. And that's the quality that we have. If we have eternal life, then we need to live like we have eternal life. We need to share that with others. We need to help others see that they can also have eternal life. That's eternal life with God. But if you're here this morning... And again, John only makes mention of two types of people. The children of God and the children of the devil. There's no in-between. You can't ride the fence. You can't ride the fence. But if you're here this morning and you are a child of the get <laughs> the devil, you have not accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. You do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You may believe intellectually... But you've not put your wholehearted faith in Jesus as the Son of God. If that's you this morning, we can change that. It's simple. Maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. Maybe God is telling you, yes, I love you. Yes, I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross. If you would have been the only one on earth, it would have been for you. Maybe that's you this morning. You're feeling that conviction. You're feeling that tug on your heart. It's not heartburn. It's not heartburn. It's the burn of the Holy Spirit. As He presses on your heart, knowing knowing that you need to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, you have an opportunity and the invitation to come down. And make it right. And make it right. But I don't know what your decision needs to be this morning, but we've seen that we, as Christians, can rejoice in the fact that we have eternal life. We are confident in that. We can be assured of that. And we also know that Jesus will answer our prayers when we seek His face and seek His will. So whatever decision needs to be made this morning, I will pray that you make it. I pray that you make it. Let's pray. We thank you for this
0: again for listening today we hope the word preached today would be used by god mightily as you go about your week again if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org have a blessed day and may god grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of jesus